Believe it or not, I read the shorter version. I chopped up, well, I didn't, they give two options. And so I took the second option with about uh, 20 verses less than are there. Uh, and it only leaves out, well, it leaves out a few things, but one is that Mary repeats what Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. Uh, so there's an emphasis and a beauty in both sisters saying the same thing immediately. Uh, and I think it all always suggests that maybe they were a little upset with Jesus. But at any rate. Now, when I was in the seminary, I, we had a class called homiletics. It was a class to teach us how to preach. And the way that we did it, each week every one of us had to write a homily and give it to the professor. We were to memorize it and not read any notes. And he filmed it. He did a video of it. But after we finished preaching, the class was able to critique you, and critique you they did. They said, he blinked too many times, uh, he looked down instead of looking up, and hey, they just said all kinds of stuff, some of it rather silly. And then we went to lunch, and when we came back, each of us who had preached that day had to go into the studio with the professor, who then watched the film with us, then he critiqued us. And his critique was good. It was professional. Now, one of the things that we were taught was that we were supposed to do an exegesis and a hermeneutic, which are two fancy uh, Greek words. Exegesis is to study the text as it is written. So it's to look at all the details, like I just told you that Mary said what Martha said in the longer version. That's studying the text. That's doing an exegesis. But we were told that in our homily, we should devote only about 25% to the exegesis and 75% to the hermeneutic. And the hermeneutic was to apply the scriptures to us. In other words, we look at these scriptures that are 2,000 years old and we appreciate their stories of old, but what's it mean to us? And why should we be concerned? And, and, and what grace or power should they give us? That's the point of the homily. Now, I'm going to break that rule today. I'm going to give 75% to the exegesis because it's a juicy gospel, and we've got to get everything out of it we can. And I know I'll be repeating some things, but um, it just has to be done in order to get at this. First of all, in the first reading from Ezekiel, uh, God speaks through the prophet, and he says, I will raise you up out of your graves. Whoa. That's quite a statement. The dead will be raised. And in the second reading, and from the letter to the Hebrews, we hear about spiritual death and spiritual life. And Paul says, if you live in the body only, you may be dead, dead with sin and dead. But if you live in the spirit and have Christ's spirit upon you and in you, you really are alive. So I'll make that application at the very, very end and speak in a special way to the children here and to the child in each of us, but to the gospel. Now, yesterday, I was hearing confessions for the women who are on the Kairos retreat. Next week, I'll hear the men's. And I came home through East L.A., and there's an old cemetery. I think it's called Odd Fellows. It's down on 4th and Evergreen in East L.A., it's very old. It may be the oldest cemetery in Los Angeles. I don't know that for sure. It's perhaps the one in Wilmington is, is older. I'm not sure. But it's an old cemetery. And unlike um, Calvary, which is just nearby, that's 
uh, has a wall around it all, except on the north end, the northwest end. But Oddfellows is completely open. There's a fence so that you have to go through the gateway, but you see everything. And what you see there is rather unique. It's, it's a graveyard where almost all the stones are erect. They're not flat like in uh, most of our cemeteries, even Forest Lawn. They are flat so that they can mow the lawns easier, and there's a practical side to it. But this old cemetery, all these stones are there. And as I'm driving by, I always admire this cemetery. It just, it, it does something freaky to me. And I thought of the scriptures today. And, and I thought of this passage uh, from Ezekiel saying, I will raise the bodies, the dead bodies from the grave. And we could do that these days. Not literally raise the dead bodies. Most are bones, I suppose. But through our visual arts, we've seen them. We've seen uh, scenes in movies where the spirits come out of the graves. And um, unfortunately, we also see the Night of the Living Dead. And um, just recently, um, I saw it. I've seen it many times. There's a commercial. I think it's an insurance commercial. And it's one of the dead people. And they're kind of all corrupted and rotting. And one of them raises his hand, and, and his whole arm falls off. And then in another place, he goes to shake hands, and the person shakes his hand, and the other arm falls off. And, and it's this dead body that seems to be alive, but it's not a lively body. It's, it's a dead body that still somehow has life. It's imaginary. I realize that. But in the hermeneutic that will follow this exegesis, I will try to make the application that I think is super important to us as we read the scripture today. Now, I like this scripture very much. It's very powerful. It's wonderful and it's very strange at the same time because some weird conversation takes place that, that I don't understand and maybe it's meant to throw some confusion and question marks so that when we get to the real point at the end, we're ready for it. But the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and they were very dear friends of Jesus. It, it says later on that, that they were weeping and Jesus wept. Twice it tells us in the passage that he was very perturbed. This was very unsettling to him that Lazarus was dead. And yet, he had faith that he would be raised up and he could be raised up. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying this, Lazarus, your good buddy, he's dying. He's very ill, and implied to come and help him. So Jesus heard this, and he says to his disciples, this illness isn't going to end in death. The glory of God is going to be shown. And so then it says he remained there for two days. Please, somebody calls you and says, your best friend is dying. Yeah, get up and go. You leave your job. You do whatever you need to do. You just go. But Jesus remains there for two days. That's odd. Unless he has a greater purpose in mind, and he does. And he also says that he was going to go back to Judea because this is where he had to go in order to get to Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And I didn't read this part of the passage because I read the shorter version, but the disciples said, wait a minute. Isn't that where they were trying to stone you and kill you just the other day? What are you going to go back to Judea for? But again, he has great purpose. And so Thomas, the doubter, 
at the end of that says, okay, disciples, let's go. We're going to go with Jesus so we can be killed too. Uh, again, it's just a, a remarkable passage. But when he gets outside of the village, Martha hears that he's there, so she goes up to see him. And she says right away, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. I think there's a little angst in her statement. But since she adds this, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God our Father, he'll give it to you. I know that, implying you're going to make Lazarus okay. It's going to be okay. So Jesus responds to her in this conversation and says, your brother will rise. And Martha responds back to him, well, I know he'll rise on the last day in the resurrection. And then Jesus responds to that and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. They'll never die. And those who have died, they will live. And he says directly to Martha, right to her face, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I've come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. I believe you, and I believe in you. So he, again, becomes quite perturbed. He weeps, and um, everybody notices it. See how much he loved Lazarus, but why couldn't he save him? Why couldn't he save him? So now the big moment comes. He stands before the tomb, goes to the tomb, and he says, take away the stone. Now, you know, there's times that you just don't say things to people. You know, uh, it's gross. Um, um, you see somebody broke their nose, and, and, and then you say, oh, my God, your nose is bigger than ever now. You don't say that. You might think it. You don't point it out. They don't need it pointed out. They already know it. So Jesus says, take away the stone of the dead man's tomb. And Martha, her eyes must have almost bulged out her head, and she says, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He's going to stink. He's been dead for four days. He's corrupting. Hello, Lord, please, no. And Jesus insists. And then he makes this speech about, you know, uh, okay, God, hear me now. I'm saying what I'm saying right now so that all these people hear me and they'll believe, okay? So this is why I'm saying it. I don't need to say it but I want them to believe as I ask this of you and then you show your glory and your power. And then he says the most startling thing of all. If you think the broken nose or take away the stone was bad, he says, Lazarus, come out to the dead man. Lazarus, come out. And he does. And he's all wrapped up in these towels and cloth and covering his face. He's standing there like a mummy. And then Jesus says the words which I think are the hermeneutic. Here it is in one sentence. The whole passage, the whole story is about this. He says, untie him and let him go free. Actually, on the page, I cheated because it says, untie him and let him go. But the older translation, when I was first ordained, that one that we used said, and let him go free. And the whole point of this scripture is 
that there's, there's multiple ways to be dead. One of them is physically. And this is one of those stories where there's a mixture going on. It's kind of like two weeks ago when we heard the story of uh, the woman of Samaria. And, and he, Jesus asked, are you, are you married? And, and she said, well, no, not now. And he said, well, that's right, because you've been married five times. And how did she know that? It must be the Messiah. And, and that goes back and forth. And then last week about the blind man, more man born blind. And, and there's a conversation keeps going back and forth about being blind with these eyes, but really being blind with the eyes of the heart. And that's the whole grip of the story. So this one talks about a dead man, physically, mortally dead. And Jesus brings him back to life through the power of the Father, through the power of the Spirit. But it's really asking more because when the dead man comes out all bound up like a mummy, is he to exist now for the rest of his life like a mummy, being led around because he can't see, his face is all covered with cloth? Jesus says, untie him. Let him go free. So I ask you, what are the things that tie us up, that bind us? I mean, nobody in here is dead. I'm looking around, you know. Um, there's no real stench either. You know, well, some of us might stink a little bit, but there's all kinds of reasons for that. No, but we're all very much alive. Nobody here is dead except in sin, in selfishness. We all have some sin. In fact, today, I dare say, every one of us, I believe, will sin in some way or another. But there'll be little things, a mean comment, a moment of selfishness, a moment when we don't listen to somebody, roll the eyes, whatever. Criticize the mother-in-law, whatever. So all of us will sin, and clearly we know that. But Jesus is forever seeking that we would be unbound from our sin. That the things that tie us up would be loosed. I was telling at the last Mass because we had the catechumens, the elect, the kids who are going to be receiving their uh, sacraments of initiation. And because they're over seven years of old, they go through RCIA for two years. And then, because they're old enough to understand, they will get baptized on Easter Vigil Night receive confirmation and the First Communion, all three sacraments. What a deal. What a deal. So I was trying to give, and they, they lined up here, knelt down, and we prayed over them and did a prayer of exorcism. And not like in the movie, but exercising is to exorcise away, push away, get out of us the spirit of evil that can influence our lives, that can bind us up. So I gave this example to them. I said, so you go home today. And you have a little brother or sister that's three years old. And your mom had gone to the store and with them, the child, and they come back and you're eating some cookies or ice cream or something, some candy. And your little three-year-old brother or sister, they don't know any better, come in and they want some. Give me some of that. And you say, no. And you refuse them. So what do they do? Of course, a three-year-old, they break out in the scream and start crying. Mom, I want some, give me some. And, and then the mother gets mad and says, you give them some of this. And, the, and it's, it's a big scene. Everybody talk about being tied up. There it is. But what would life be there if that seven, ten-year-old had just said, sure, come on here, have half my cookie, and put a huge smile on the face of that child? It is so simple. 
It's so simple, it happens all the time. And Jesus doesn't only talk about big things like that. That's a big thing. But he talks about the simple ways that we can be filled with life. The simple ways that we can give life to one another. The simple ways that in our mortality we can be already experiencing immortality. The life of God. The life of God alive in us. So today we prayed with our elect, because in two weeks from today, or last night actually, two weeks from last night, they will receive all those sacraments. And as they have done three weeks of scrutinizing their lives, looking at their hearts and saying, where do I need to change? How can I be more open? How can I let go of some of my sin? How can I be more real and positive and life-giving? How can I be untied? so that I can go free. 